Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC+, where every day feels like Christmas morning. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. They're all here on AMC+. So celebrate the best Christmas ever, anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. To the Football Grad Podcast. My name is Manuel Weff, and I'm joined by Andrew. But you know, you're not in your usual stationary location. You are in Yekaterinburg inside Ural Stadium. How is it going there? What are you doing there? Um, yeah, no, it's just half an hour till kickoff, or a bit shorter than that, actually, until Zanit uh, against Ural starts. So, yeah, I'm just getting ready, doing a bit of uh, pretty much video reporting. Um, but, yeah, I thought I'd uh, jump on with you guys, if you don't mind. Yeah, that's always good to have you. Uh, for the listeners who don't know, they, Andrew is going to leave us pretty much halfway through the pod. He has better things to do, mainly watching football games and reporting on them. But, um, yeah, Andrew... <laughs> That's going to be an interesting game today, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, both teams unbeaten so far this season. But, I mean, Zuni, uh, I'm, I'm really sorry, Tim. I'm going to have to say it, but they do look very, very good right now. Um, but Ural look good too. Um, you know, they've, they've got a, a slightly surprise. I reckon it will surprise a lot of people how well Ural will do today. But I think Zuni is probably just going to take this game. 2-1 is my prediction to Zuni, but I'm going to cling on to the hope that Ural will surprise me. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a moment, but I want to introduce the other guest, uh, Tim, as always, from Vancouver. Bit of a heartbreak for you this week, speaking about Sunit. Um, you guys had a rough time, didn't you? Yeah, yes. That was that was a very rough weekend. As Andrew said in our group chat, I, it will be hard for me to express the usual positivity this week because it was... If listeners, for some reason, have been living under the rock, uh, Spartak lost to Zenit 1-5 mm. away in the most beautiful, their new arena. And it's been not great. Uh, me and my dad, who talk on a daily basis about Spartak, we just, you know, like he, he brought me into the football. Uh, we just exchanged two messages so far. And the messages were, have you seen the game? And I said, yes. And that was the whole discussion of the Spartak's performance. Yeah, but we need to talk about it, boys. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, Tim. This is this is going to be a rough, uh, rough time for you. I mean, well, we'll, we'll talk about I'll... the politics behind Senate in a moment, right? But uh, this was hard, wasn't it? 
It was, it was, but you know, um, I've been very positive uh, last uh, season when Spartak was winning and I was uh, super happy. You know, you have to take this, you know, this happens and I will be, you know, I have like, you know, I, I will contribute to the podcast. I will discuss the Harrenden's performance and yeah, you know, that's, that's the, that's the part of being a fan. You have to accept those losses and leave the team. Yeah. Andrew, you are going to see them today. Um, or by the time this podcast comes out, likely tomorrow, um, what do you what do you people make in Yekaterinburg about the Sinit side? It's obviously a star-studded side. Um, they announced the signing of Matthias Kranewitter from Atletico Madrid mm-hmm. yesterday. I assume he will not be in the squad today. Um, the no. Rigoni is still an outstanding transfer. We we know it's going to happen. Uh, there's there's some hiccups with the the completion of the deal. He was actually already added to the squad list, and then they had to take him off yeah. because there's some complications. But this uh, Senate side is probably the strongest since Gazprom has taken the club over. Yeah, I'd say it is because Amana was a very important signing because we all agreed that that was the one area before his signing that they were actually looking, if anything, a little bit weak. Um, you know, and now they've got him and, uh, you know, Luis Nieto can play there, Crescito can play there, Ivanovic can play there. You know, these are guys, Ivanovic has won the Champions League, for God's sake. Um, and it's uh, and now that that area is taken care of, the midfield, well, even from defensive midfield, you can see where goals come from. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of how the locals here think of us on each side, there are two absolute standout stars, and they are, of course, Alex Shatov um, and Alexander Yerokin, who both were have been excellent former players of Real. Um, those two will are both in the starting lineup today, um, and they always get a great reception. Um, and, I mean, if anything, I'm a bit disappointed they are in because I don't want, you know, former Oral players to do the damage. But, um, yeah, I mean, the local fans here, they are realistic. They know how good Zanit are. Um, and I don't think there's a great deal of expectation that Oral will win today. But um, over the season, I, I know it's early to be making these sort of statements, but um, I think it's going to be a very hard, hard task for anybody to catch Zanit now. Um well, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, Tim, um, there was pictures yesterday, of course, sent on their, their Twitter account. Once again, a long trip for Zenit to travel. But this this Zenit side, again, you know, we're talking a lot about Zenit this year, but it's because of what they're doing on the transfer market. And I'm, I'm watching back the highlights against Spartak. It's not just the foreigners that are doing damage. Um, Dala Kusayev's goal, the, the final goal for Zenit, what a hammer blow that was. And it just shows you that it isn't just the, the Argentines, um, you know, Mancini's favorite play tool, um, these days are doing the damage, but it's also the locals, isn't it? Absolutely. Corin has been in the form of his life. Uh, he is the player who, um, feels and plays great when he is trusted. And obviously Mancini trusts him and he is the, you know, he plays him in his favorite position of a top, uh, center forward. So uh, it's good for the national team. And I'm excited for Corin that he is finally starts to live to his, uh, expectations and to the level of his talent. Kuzaev has been the revelation this year. He has been phenomenal. I've seen, 
uh, I think two full games of Zenit this year, and both games he has been just just exceptional. I didn't know much about him when he played in Terek, and to me, it's um, it's a big surprise. I'm really excited about his. Hopefully, he will keep this form. And again, uh, looking forward to the upcoming World Cup. It's uh, it's again a, a great a great um, addition. And obviously, like uh, what uh, what Andrew mentioned, Shata, Firofi, Hin, they play at this good level. They play consistently. We have <clears throat> again, it's good. It's good for for the national team and of course the Argentines. The it just it just it just different league. Uh, Zenit is in different league this season. The level of players they have is just uh, fantastic. Yeah, for those who haven't seen the highlights, um, I don't think Tim will ever watch them again. But everyone else should simply <laughs> simply to see Kozaya's final goal and uh, phenomenal. Abs- phenomenal, absolute hammer blow to make it five one. Yes, that's right, five one. Um, it was a blowout and I mean Andrew quite a fantastic result for Sunit the, the one thing that maybe stand, stood out for me is um, Artem Suba coming on late is does he fit um, does he fit Mancini's style you have the sense that he doesn't get the same amount of minutes than a lot of the other players it's it's a lot more mobile yeah. of a squad than we saw last season isn't it yeah absolutely um, the fact well the fact that he was a substitute says it all really I think the, the problem with Duber is he is relatively relatively limited um, in what style of team he can fit into but before that he was um, you know he was he was guaranteed his place and it just doesn't um, it doesn't motivate him he was he was still almost complacent I guess you could say um, and the thing is that he's still He's guaranteed to score you, you know, ten to fifteen goals in a Russian Premier League season, which is a decent, not spectacular, but decent return. Um, but that's not good enough to move forward. And yeah, exactly. Um, Sebastian Diusi comes in. Is he, is he twenty? Was he twenty-one, twenty-two years old? Um, you know, and already he looks very comfortable leading the line. And this is already, I would say, a Mancini-looking side. They look much more fluid. There is an understanding of how to get the best out of the players. And that's the point. You put Zuber in the side and you have to fit players around him because he's not versatile enough. The other players are versatile. They are modern. They can switch. Um, so I'll be honest, again, it's, it's early to make these sort of ultimate statements. But again, I can't see a way back in for Zuber at this point because it would make a return to the relatively one-dimensional form of attack for Zanit. And why would they do that? They're on fire at the moment. So Zuba, I, I would say, if anything, we could be looking at a winter move away. Um, possibly even summer, who knows? Yeah, that'd be interesting, right? And I mean, especially when you look at the fact that Rigonia coming in, Granovita still coming in. Of course, Granovita is going to play in that midfield. Possibly just a backup even for, for, for Power Raiders, right, Tim? Because the way that the squad is set up, you can't really see Granovita playing right away. And that's, this is... For me, and I mean, I've written an article just about this. I think Sanita setting themselves up to not just win in Russia, but also win the Europa League to finally get that second international trophy under their belt, because that's really the, the best guarantee for them to go straight into the Champions League group stage next year, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I'm sure they would like to qualify the Champions League for winning the league this season, but uh, winning the... Um, I, mean, I agree with you. I think that's the whole vision of the club, to take the back of the trophy, the Champions Trophy, to St. Petersburg, and also to try to go in uh, Europa League as far as possible. Uh, and... Um, uh, the like yeah the the, the addition of Kranevitter to me it was just unbelievable the player who was on Atletico Madrid side and who 
like to me that's like that's the top level and I, I agree with you i don't really see him fitting easily and getting a current guaranteed starting spot spot in the in the in the starting 11 <laughs> that just shows the level of players which zenith currently has and i'm looking at the squad today uh, against um against uh, ural and it's only five uh, foreign players, and I've been saying uh, for the you know for the first few weeks of the on the podcast that I will I, I'm worried how I'm not sure how the Zenith will fit in all the foreigners right now as I look at the starting squad up. Um, I don't see any problems. It's 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 good for them. They have one extra spot. Good good for them. Yeah, it's it's deep. It's a really deep team. The, both the Russians empty. And the foreigners, uh, there's some deep quality on there. Remember Giuliano, who was maybe the revelation of last season, mm-hmm. the top scorer in the Europa League, and he's not getting a lot of playing time right now. And that's just, that's for me, that speaks quite a lot of volume. Don't you think so, Andrew? I mean, Giuliano is a fantastic player. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, I mean, there's no question his, his talent. He's been called up to the Brazil squad since moving to. So, so, you know, nobody can question that he is a good player. But yet again, it's an, you could you could pick about five or six ways to demonstrate how strong Zanit are. That's another one, like you just mentioned. He's he, he's not guaranteed a starting place, and yet he was certainly one of the best two or three players in. Well, I'd say the first two thirds of last season, um, and 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 now he's got to he's got to fight for his place. Um, quite honestly, I'd say on balance, my first choice eleven. If everybody was fit, it probably would include him. But it depends on form. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if a Brazilian international, um, current Brazilian international, <laughs> or certainly in the last year or so, um, if he's having to fight for his place in the side, that really is a, a hallmark of the quality they have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what will happen to um, what will happen to Juliana? I don't think there's any need to panic for him, but it's this will be a this will be a test of his character. Has he got the bottle to fight for his place? Or will he throw a bit of a sulk and, and engineer a move away in the next few months? I don't think that's going to happen. I think he will bottle down. Because last season, that was one of his best qualities. That was why I think he was one of the best players in the country. Because he did show that fight, that urgency, and that desire. So I think he's got it in him. But, but he, my God, he's got to work for it. <laughs> But uh, he he said publicly he called himself the victim of rotation by Mancini. So I'm not think I'm not sure if he's happy there. So I won't be surprised if he leaves on a loan or leaves completely. Yeah, that would be a huge loss in my opinion because I really like him as a player. I think he's a great player. But in the current market, there there would be a lot of suitors for him because he's a very good player. And you know I I know that quite a lot of clubs came. Um, sniffing, sniffing around, um, him yes, last year and uh, trying to sign him and, and bring him on and, um, you know, to improve their squad even over Christmas. So, you know, I think there is, there's a lot of room for him. Uh, just really quickly, want to say goodbye to Andrew. He's, uh, off to press duty now. So, uh, we'll, if you want to find out more about what he's doing, follow us on Twitter, Football Guard Live. And of course, Andrew, my Flint, uh, on his Twitter account, um, he will be very busy, um, I guess, today and then traveling back to Tumen uh, after the game. So uh, thanks for having you on, Andrew. Uh, we'll catch you again next week. Cheers, guys. Looking forward to seeing you then. then. Good luck. Bring the three points, please. <laughs> oh, I'll do my best, Tim. I will do my best. <laughs> yeah, Tim, three points. That will, be, um, that will be important for you guys, don't you think so? I mean, for Spartak. 
Some, yeah, yeah. So, some news, and there's some news for on Spartak coming out. Uh, we have a guy, we have a couple guys in South America on the Football Grad Network, and um, you know this is this actually ties in nicely Giuliano because Giuliano's former teammate from Gremio, Luan, is uh, rumored to make his way over to you guys to Spartak, and he would be quite a significant signing, wouldn't he? Absolutely. The, the fee is enormous. Spartak never paid this much money for a player in history. Uh, the, the biggest uh, signing we had it was, I think, around 212 million. It was Aiden Magidi. And then we had Kavinagi. Uh, rumored that uh, we will pay about 20, 24 millions for uh, Luan, who is the new, like, uh, the new transfer target. I, to be quite honest, I have never heard of this player, but like you said, in, in our, um, group chat, um, we had uh, quite a few pe pe people who knew about him and they said that he has been phenomenal. Um, there's quite a few opinions. Uh, there's uh, one um, insider, like he's an insider journalist who knows a lot about uh, Russian football. His name is Nobel Rustaman. He said that he is not sure about this transfer because Spartak is spending so much money on a young talent and according to him, he had some um, uh, you know, mentality and like character issues and uh, some conflicts in his previous club. At the same time, our people, our people in South America just gave a whole bunch of great compliments to this player that he has been uh, one of the best three players in the past a few years in Brazilian league and he is a pure talent. So I obviously excited. Um, I'm curious to see where, if he joins Spartak, where he would play, where he would fit in the squad. And obviously, you know, like we have to strengthen our squad, especially after last week's result. Do you think last week's result was a bit of wake-up call for the likes of Leonid Fidun, you know, the owner? realizing that that they uh, maybe have not done enough i i i'm pretty sure it was and uh carrera was a very he has been very very polite uh in terms of transfer talks but in recent weeks he has been saying i'm waiting for uh for some action from our uh management and he's been saying that publicly which is not a very good sign uh doesn't seem like he was very happy that he only got so far uh, two players and Pashalic arrived literally a, a few days before the new game. So I, I'm pretty sure that this result is the wake up call. And I think if there were, were any doubts about uh, bringing Luan in, uh, the last week's result, uh, really triggered, uh, the, uh, the action. What was the, you know, the overall impact of this result when you, when you look, you know, when you are the defending champion, you are the, one of the two biggest sites in Russia. Um, you know, there's the various studies saying Spartak has the most support. Senate, um, is one of the most supported teams in Russia as well. So this was really the meeting of giants in Russian football. Um, you know, really the, the duel a lot of people have waited for, for many years because as CSKA is, CSKA against Senate used to always be the derby of the capitals, but CSKA doesn't have that mass support that Spartak does. So this is this was basically the meeting of two massive giants and a very highly anticipated meeting, maybe even more highly anticipated than last season because of the investment uh, made by Senate. Um, at the same time, what was what was the reaction then in Russia? You know, seeing pictures of the Krestovsky Arena completely packed to the to the roof, which is not something you see very often. There must have been a sense of disbelief after this game. And I mean, not just with Spartak Moscow fans, but also with the neutrals. You're absolutely right. I won't deny it, it was massive. It was like the whole reaction and Spartak's, you know, fans. It, it was it was dreadful. Uh, really, like 
all of us took it very, very poorly, very badly. Uh, there's no denying, like, uh, <laughs> you know, like the first half wasn't too bad. The first half we played pretty, pretty good and made two personal, individual big mistakes that resulted in two nothing. But the second half was just a complete dreadful destruction by Zenith. They were so much better. And it was so painful. It was just a pure, you know, it was just pure brilliance by Z- by Zenith. It was uh, their brand new stadium, all their brand new signing, and they just completely destroyed their biggest rival, um, just five one. It just there's there's no way to explain it. So it was it wasn't like you know when uh, even I remember when um, Spartak lost to them even last year for example away four two. Uh, there was no disbelief. There was no because there was, it was all blamed on the referee and everything else. This year it was massive. Like you said, uh, Tesca they don't have such big. Um, um, amount of, of fans and uh, such a big following in Russia. So clearly Spartak and Zenit now are the two most followed club clubs and for them to wipe to just to show the strength and just to prove that all the transfers they are doing are working for them, it's it's massive for them. And it's it's really comes like you're right with a bit of disbelief because like we're looking at right now at our squad that everything but work last year is not working. We see how strong they are, and we see that they just completely wiped us off. It it's really comes with a sense of disbelief, and it's really a big task right now for Carrera to you know to to, to turn this around. That's not going to be easy. Yeah, and it definitely isn't going to be easy. Thankfully for Spartak, they have a bit of time um, to to do it because you know the Champions League doesn't start for them until the. The group stage, but, uh, but we we play in CSKA on the weekend, and yeah. then we play in Lokomotiv. So the the schedule is crazy. But on the other hand, that's that's almost good, isn't it? Because if you play CSKA right away and and you beat them decisively, no one will be talking about what happened against Zenit. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So like uh, like Carrera always said, we have to focus on the next game. Uh, we're playing Arsenal Tula there today. Then uh, there is um, obviously like the, the derby against CSKA. We have to focus on the game by game basis and just start grinding those results like we did last year. And um, yeah, we just have to be somehow positive after that uh, wonderful uh, weekend last week. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> but you know, that's, that's, that, that's the big thing though. When you, when you, when you look at CSKA's schedule, and I, I actually think that Spartak have a little bit of an advantage because they don't start till the group stage of the Champions League. Uh, CSKA don't have that luxury. They're actually um, already on match duty next week again, this time again, the young, young boys. And remember, young boys, they are the, uh, they like to kill post-Soviet teams in, in this, in the, in the, you know, qualification to the Champions League last year. They, they took out Shakhtar Donetsk and then this year they already took out Dynamo Kiev and now, you know, CSKA. It's a very fine balance bit for them between playing Spartak on the weekend and then CSKA, um, playing young boys on Wednesday. That's, that's going to be difficult for them. Absolutely, and also as many times we discuss on this podcast that they don't have the the squad depth. They have a great uh, number of uh, young, talented players which are coming up. There's a good generation in CSKA coming up, but those players are obviously not ready to co- consistently perform on um, such high level as Champions League and then playing the derby game. Uh, 
Um, I'm a little bit worried for this guy because I want them to to qualify just for the you know for for the Russian for the strength of Russian football to qualify for uh, for Champions League. But like you said, young boys. Even it's uh, it's not the biggest club, but like you said, they 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 got out. They they. He relegated uh, Dynamo Kiev, which is a very good side. So CSKA uh, would have really, really to focus in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be not easy for them. Yeah, and there's rumors that they are going to sign Wallace from Hamburger SV, uh, another Brazilian link to, to Russia. And this that happens quite a lot. Russian players do often go to Russia and, and end up doing doing quite well there too. But, you know, this is, this is going to be a challenging game for them, especially, you know, Igor Akinfeev. Um, he was out with an injury. We don't know when he's going to be back. Uh, Ilya Pomazun was the keeper that replaced him against Ruben Kazan on the weekend. And, uh, he had a bit of a blinder, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's so hard to be a second goalkeeper in CSKA because <laughs> because Akinfeev is clearly the best goalkeeper in, in Russia and definitely in the club. So really, like you, like uh, you sitting on the bench behind Akinfeev, and then out of sudden, once in a few years, you would have to play football, which is you know, like obviously there's no game continuity. So it's very tough uh, for for any goalkeeper to be um, and and just join. Um, Join the, um, the 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 place and goals. Um, yeah, it's like I don't really know what's uh, what's the what's the you know the the pro- pro- progress on I can say, injury. So I'm not sure when he's gonna be back. Obviously, it's good for me as a as a biased Spartak fan that if he doesn't play a derby game, it makes it slightly easier for us. But at the same time, I like I said, I really want Tesca to progress to the Champions League to the group stage, uh, and he will be he will he will be missed uh, if he. You won't be able to play against the uh, young boys. Yeah, they're not the, the only ones though playing, right? Uh, it's the going quickly through those those Europa League and Champions League qualifiers before we we go to the big topic. Um, Krasnodar are playing uh, Red Star Belgrade, which isn't actually going to be an easy game either. Uh, Red Star, f- fantastic Serbian side. Massive support, especially at home. They were really to try to get uh, through to the group stage. Krasnodar, you know, not the, the most consistent results for them in the beginning of the season, despite actually finally making big investments. Krasnodar, of course, was one of those teams that were under financial fair play investigation by UEFA. They had to fulfill um, certain obligations in order to you know, not get sanctions, which was that they, had, they always had to make earn money on the transfer market in order to spend money. That was, um, that has finally passed for them this season. And so they actually did bring in, um, a few very interesting players. First and foremost, uh, Wanderson, the Brazilian from Red Bull Salzburg, who they paid 8 million euros for. Um, but, you know, they made investments, but it's not really quite there yet for them, isn't it, Tim? No, and uh, like the, the biggest problem they have as of right now, they're they're missing uh, Fedor Smolov, and a large group of Russian players are injured right now, so they have a really tough time uh, filling in uh, the the Russian spots for for the for the home league. Obviously, that's not uh, a problem in in Europe, but at the same time, like you know, for example, uh, the was the young player who played um, against Spartak Gritsayenko. Yeah, they're a very young player. He 
honestly played even the Shalim, Shalim of the coach said he played only because of the foreigner rules so they would have to fill in some uh, some Russian young players to to play and it's good for their academy and that's what uh, Sergei Galski wants but at the same time um yeah, they they bought a few players. They bought this the Ristich, who I think is a Serbian player, the new striker Ivan. But still, uh, if we're talking about the upcoming Europa League, Fyodor Smolov is still injured. I'm not sure if he will be fit for the away game, uh, and he is the the biggest player on on the side. Uh, do you know much about Vanderson? Because I never heard of him, but I was very impressed when he played against Spartak. Uh, he made a couple of shots. What a what a what a what a shot this guy has! Yeah, Wanderson is actually a really interesting player. He's actually the the son of former Ajax Brazilian uh, player Vamberto. And uh, oh wow, yeah, and his brother Danilo played for uh, Nepro for a long time, and uh, so it's a football family. He is a Brazilian Belgium citizen. Um, was went through the Ajax Amsterdam uh, academy, then. Uh, Played a bare shot, so basically when his when his father Vamberto left Ajax, uh, Wanderson left with him and then went to bare shot in Belgium. So his football education is actually Dutch Belgium. Um, then he played for a brief time in in Spain, um, I believe for Getafe, and then he was at uh, Red Bull Salzburg. And of course, you know the the, the Salzburg um, the the Red Bull style of football is high pressing, high intensity, lots of running. Pressing the opponent um, as high up as possible, uh, quick counter attack football, very dynamic. Um, we've seen it with Leipzig last year in the Bundesliga. The entire the entire Red Bull brand plays a certain way of football, and this is of course originates with with Ralf Rangnick, who used to be the global sporting director of of Red Bull, and. Uh, he had this this vision that you know young players play a certain way of football and that they are able to not only um, bring in superstars but also develop young players that they can then sell on with a profit. So Wanderson went through this the school of thought um, of this the school of playing football in this high pressing fashion, and I think he's going to be a magnificent signing. I mean, they paid eight million euros for him, um, which of course under the market will get to the market in a moment, but <laughs> it doesn't seem like a lot. But you know, uh, Red Bull didn't. I think Red Bull only paid about two and a half million euros for him to get him in, and then mm-hmm. basically um, developed him so that they could sell him on. And I think he's he's going to be a magnificent player down the road. He had such a fascinating background, right, with with these different football schools that he. Um, that he underwent. So he's not you really, you, he's a Brazilian, but he's actually like a European educated yeah. Brazilian uh-huh. player. So which makes him, makes him a fascinating player to watch. And we have actually a profile up on him on, uh, footballgrad.com. Um, because, you know, I, I, he's someone when, when I recognized that he was going there, uh, I thought it's going to be interesting. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see him play against Red Star, Tim, because I think that's, that's going to be quite a challenge for them. And, they're not limited by that foreigner rule, right? So they can actually use him. Exactly, yeah. I was very impressed with him uh, uh, with the game against Spartak. And uh, like you said, everything what you described, the Red, Red Bull Salzburg, like a general Red Bull philosophy, is very similar to Krasnodar. So he, based on what you said, he seems like a perfect fit. Uh, Krasnodar is a perfect step for him. Just the same attacking uh, style of football and the place for him to develop and hopefully probably for him to go uh, to bigger leagues and to bigger clubs. Yeah, and it's interesting too, right? Because 
um, the the owner of um, Krasnodar. He has a very similar football philosophy than what Red Bull wants to do. It's not buy super expensive footballers. Um, Krasnodar's idea is to have the strong youth academy. And they're quite honest about the youth academy too, right? Because they're saying, well, we invested a lot of money in our youth academy. And when you look at the pictures of the youth academy, it's beautiful. And then they built this wonderful stadium, maybe the nicest stadium in Russia today. But they are also very honest saying, well, this is going to take time. We, we're not going to be able to, you know, become the super club overnight. We'll have, there has to be continuous investment into our youth academy. And until the first youth players that play the brand of football that we want to play, which is very similar to the Red Bull brand of football, it's going to take time just because, you know, you can't, young players don't grow on trees. That's not how it works, right? So they, it's very interesting how they are basically, um, this club with a very strong philosophy. Yeah, and like just given that uh, the fact that uh, Krasnodar was founded in 2008, the club is nine years young. So uh, the the it's 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 very like you know it's it's a young club. Like to bring all those young players, and you're absolutely right, Sergei Galitsky. His goal is to develop young players in this wonderful academy, and his dream is to have one day eleven uh, players from the academy play um, in 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 the starting lineup. That's his dream, and this is what he is um, going for to play this beautiful style of football uh, played by uh, local players. Uh, so it just it, they definitely need time, but at the same time they already have quite a few players who started who who came from the academy to to the to the to the to the to the Krasnodar team. Ilyash Golyov he already started playing a couple times last year. Uh, there's a new striker who is only 17 years old. His name is Sulimanov. There's um, another couple of players who will be joining. So you can see how that philosophy works for Krasnodar. Yeah, a really interesting project and. Something that we, we should touch on a bit more maybe in a later, a later podcast. Um, couple teams that we are also going to feature. And again, we're going to have all those previews up on footballgrad.com is of course Dinamo Kiev against Maritimo. Uh, big disappointment, right? For Dinamo, Tim, that they, they're not in the Champions League. That's basically now, you know, that's a step that they have to take. They can't afford not going to the Europa League group stage. Absolutely, for such a massive club as Dynamo Kiev, not being featured in um, in Champions League, it hurts them. And um, yeah, that's again shows just going back to the Sky game that just shows the strength of um, uh, young boys. Um, yeah, Dynamo Kiev and Shakhtar are two biggest clubs, and even the um, Ukrainian league might be going through for some tough period compared to a few years ago. It's still massive clubs with massive, um, with big financial support, with lots of following, with big uh, stadium, like in case of Dynamo Kiev. Um, they just can't afford to not be in Europe just for just pure for status status of the club. These clubs need to be featured in in Champions League every year on single, on a year annual basis. Yeah, and then we have uh, Bate against Alexandria, so Belarus against Ukraine. <laughs> Alexandria, of course, a bit of a surprising team. We actually have a big feature on them from Vadim Furmanov, who's actually going to write the preview on this game as well. Uh, Alexandria surprised a few people that they're actually at this stage. Uh, they only have one foreigner in their team, which is, you know, crazy when you think about today's times and football. And, uh, Bate. And, f- and f- 
foreigner from Azerbaijan. Yeah, and the foreigner from Azerbaijan <laughs> who actually is Ukrainian. So that, that's the only foreigner in the squad. Go figure. And then Bata, of course, is the Belarusian powerhouse. Actually, a small club by European standards, but a club that's fantastically well run. And I'm one of the most beautiful stadiums maybe in Europe. A small, really, a really beautiful arena um, built into the forest outside of Borisov. Um, great facility. And, uh, you know, always been a standout club for Belarusian football. So that's going to be an interesting matchup as well, I think. And then, of course, and uh, we need to talk about Senate. We're going back to Senate in just a moment. They are facing Utrecht. And um, that's really the step that they have to take to the group stage. There's not going to be any denying that this is going to be very important for them to make the Europa League group stage. And one of the main reasons for that right now is politics almost, isn't it, Tim? Because um, Gazprom is investing heavily in the club and you almost get the sense they are investing heavily into the club to to sort of put Russia back on the map, especially in a time where there's a lot of economic sanctions, there's a lot of negative talk about Russia. The World Cup, of course, is coming up next next summer um, and Senate all of a sudden is getting all that money. That can't be a coincidence. Um, yeah, they they need to make a statement uh, with um, additional attention to Russian football with the World Cup coming up. Of course, they want to be the team to to shine on the European stage to show how strong they are. And the, 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 that's why uh, that's why I think one of the reasons. Then instead of maybe inviting a potentially a young coach. For example, Sergei Simak, who was in the club structure for quite a while, they went for a high-profile coach like Mancini. They went for the high-profile players, and they definitely are making the statement uh, on on European stage and also on Russian stage um, because they they it's it's they said publicly that our main goal this season is to win uh, the, the the Russian league. Um, and then, of course, to go as far as possible in a Europa League. But um, they want to make the statement that they're back, that they're building a strong team. And um, again, the, the, all those young players, they're not buying it at developed starts. They're buying a very promising, very talented young player. So it's a, it's a very, I think it's a great approach, uh, which makes sense. Uh, in terms of speaking about Europa League, I don't see any, any problems for them uh, passing for Utrecht. I'm pretty sure they will do it easily. Um, but uh, in terms of the state, Statement and the political vision for the club. Absolutely, I agree with you. That's 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 what they're going for. Yeah, and we. I mean, this has been maybe the biggest topic, and the fallout out of this has been enormous. Um, you know, over at the Game Pressing Podcast, we're dealing right now with Usman Dembele possibly going to Barcelona. Um, Felipe Coutinho from Liverpool is linked to Barcelona, and all of this is because. Qatar basically decided, and this, this amount of money is just staggering. I mean, when you just think about that and you put, you write it out, 222 million euros <laughs> spent on Neymar, um, to bring him from, from yeah. Barcelona to PSG, which is of course owned by Qatar, is sort of this marketing vehicle for Qatar. And that's really what, what we, what they are, right? And um, this amount of money is now being pumped into the world of football and the the impact of it has been so staggering. I mean, we're talking all of a sudden Barcelona, they have delegations in Dortmund, they have delegations in Liverpool, they're trying to sign this guy, that guy, you know, the, the amount of money 
Dembele, uh, Dortmund today said Dembele will cost at least 150 million euros. This is, this is 150 million euros for a player <laughs> who has played one good year at the top level, right? But and how is, old is he? <laughs> he's 20 years old. And I mean, this is, this is the thing, but is this, this is the power of the state in football. And I remember when, when I started my PhD dissertation, what Qatar is doing now, Russia did with Senate, you know, five years ago. When they, remember when they brought in Axel Witzel and Hulk for 40 million euros each? This is, this 40 million doesn't sound like a lot right now, but I remember that was staggering at the time. That was a shock. You know, all of a sudden these two players that, um, we all thought would be going to England or Spain or Italy, right? They ended up going to Russia for this staggering amount of money because Senate could and Russia could through Gazprom. That was, that was, that was pocket change for them. So my question to you, Tim, do you think Qatar is taking a little bit of a leaf out of what Russia had did uh, in the last few years? You know, sort of saying, okay, well, soft power, obviously football is soft power. Qatar is in, in an economic situation. You know, there's a crisis in, uh, in the, on the Arabic Peninsula between Qatar and the neighboring states, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, uh, the UAE, etc. Are they basically saying like, look, we might be under economic pressure, but we can spend 220 million euros on a football player just like that. Yeah, I agree with you. The, again, that's speaking of statements. That's a statement nobody ever made in football of this such a massive transfer. And I think also, you know, you're absolutely right. It has uh, the connections with uh, the, the, what's going on in the economy. And also, from what I understand, they wanted to make a statement uh, to Barcelona, who they don't deal with Qatar Foundation anymore. And... Um, the other thing is, the, again, the World Cup. The World Cup is in um, in five years. And even if they cannot play um, the football at the top, top level, at least they can make transfers at the very top level. So I agree with you. That's the statement that they... They, they've, they've always like been with all the Qatar money and the PSG have been making those crazy transfers, but never at such a high level. And um, it's it's, you know, obviously that's... That's a massive, like you said, that's a transfer which completely put the whole transfer market on, on, on its head. You will, you will know better than I do that, you know, if, if that transfer would not, would have not happened, maybe Dortmund would have let uh, Dembele go for 70, 80 million, something like that. But now, as you're saying, they ask only for 150. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's, that just shows that how one transfer changed a lot of things in in just in the world on European football. Yeah, but you know, this is I, I find this um, this the impact of the state, the government. That you know, when governments decide that football becomes an investment, we have of course we have oligarchs and billionaires and all these guys. We have them. We have them in Chelsea. You know, Roman Abramovich, of course. But um, we have Dieter Mateschitz at Red Bull. So, uh, Red, uh, sorry, not Red Bull. Uh, that's obviously wrong. Rasenballsport Leipzig. We all know <laughs> what the RB really stands for. You know, these guys deal in they're worth billions, right? But when powers like Qatar come to play, um, we're talking about something very different here. All of a sudden, market powers are being unhinged um the the transfer system as we know it no longer exists because this 
a government agency, and this is the Qatar Foundation, right? Neymar, Neymar basically got out of his contract at Barcelona because not the incoming club, but the player has to play the transfer fee. So Neymar had an exit clause. The way Spanish law works in Spain is that when you want to break your contract, you have to pay a certain amount of money to break your contract. And it's the money he doesn't actually get paid by the club that's taking on the new on the player, but it actually has to be paid by the player. So Neymar got money from Qatar and then had to go and break his own contract and pay himself out, right? Which, of course, helps them in terms of financial fair play. But, you know, we have seen this trend that governments can sort of just just play a little bit with their muscles and then all of a sudden, you know, they just, they will be able to outspend anyone. And we've seen this right now in Russia again. We all thought that Senate is now going to become an independent club. I remember a few years ago, uh, I wrote the Gazprom Football Empire, the creation, the creation of a global image campaign for footballgrad.com, where I outlined that Gazprom basically as this major gas supplier, when we're talking about a company that is worth in the region of 300 billion euros, you know, that, that overshadows people like Roman Abramovich and Dieter Mateschitz. And they, if they really want to, is despite economic sanctions that Russia is facing, they can say, Oh, well, you guys are putting economic sanctions on us. You guys think we, we are under trouble. Look what we're doing with Senate. We're going to now, we, we decided now because this, the strategy with Mazzini and bringing in young players and all that, that didn't work, right? We're going back to the Hulks and the Witzels. We're going to sign, well, at this point, it's one, two, three, four Argentine players. There's a fifth one probably still coming, but they've already spent 68 million euros. And I know that's not Neymar-esque, but they might very well spend over 100 million euros on the transfer window because they're now nowhere, nowhere near being done, right? And is that again, you know, sort of the response uh, very similar to what's going on with Qatar? That Russia is saying, oh, we have the World Cup next year and we're being put under economic pressure by the United States, but also by some European countries and Gazprom, uh, because of the low gas price has, has been getting all this bad publicity. Are they just saying like, look, what, look what we can do? Exactly. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Yeah. They, this is, this is exactly. And this is how it's been for since, since Gazprom took over Zenit and uh, for the past um, 10, 15 years. And the, the whole, you know, the whole criticism of, of that is that, you know, they could potentially spend that money, uh, which is, you know, like government's money on things like, you know, infrastructure, schools and things like that. But they would spend it on Hulk and Witzel for spending 18 million euros just to buy those two players for, for their football club. So that's 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 how some, you know, obviously people who don't support the needs, that's how people see it. But they, you're absolutely correct because... Gazprom pretty much equals government. Of course, it's like a separate business, but it equals government. And that's a statement. Look, we can spend money. Look, we have money. Even from all what everything was going uh, with the sanctions and everything else, we can do that. We have this money. We're so strong. And uh, that's why, you know, they, they want to shine and the way they want to show their strength. And um, that's why playing Europa League football is 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 just it's just enormous for them. If they win the Europa League um, this year and then the trophy, that will be a statement. Um, and like I said, not only from the club 
but from the Russian government, look, we can do this. We're so strong. We're so powerful. We can just take, spend a whole bunch of money, and we can just, uh, well, quote-unquote, buy those trophies. Yeah, and I mean, uh, when when you look at this, when you look at Gazprom right now, um, those who are not familiar with the, the, the setup of the company, the, the owner is the Russian government. They own 50.23% of the shares. Uh, revenue has actually gone up um, recently for the first time in a long time. Uh, it's now 106 point. 106 point billion. <laughs> that's the revenue. <laughs> you know, that's, um, when you, when you compare that to the, to the, the likes of, um, you know, Roman Abramovich, it's, um, yeah, they basically make every year what he is, what his entire net worth is. Um, but you look at people that are involved too. Alexei Miller, of course, he's the, the key person, but the, uh, former chancellor of Germany, Gerhard Schröder sits on the board of Gazprom. He's of course in charge of the, the, the North Stream and South Stream pipelines that supply all of Europe with gas. And, um, you know, it are basically a lifeline. And this, this, and this is where clubs like Schalke come in, right? Schalke are heavily subsidized by Gazprom and it shows you that Gazprom, like Qatar, has, has their, has their feelers also abroad. Um, the German economy is very dependent on oil and gas from Russia. And, um, you know, Gazprom has shown that in the past. I think Gazprom's sponsorship deal with Schalke is one of the largest in the world. And it's, again, that's because they can. And it's not because they need to, it's because they can. And I think this is really something that, that's quite important. And I think that is really, um, the big parallel to, to the Neymar, Neymar deal is that, you know, it's, state involvement it's the fact that the government just basically says like look we can do this no problem well we'll just do it and it's that's that's just what what we're gonna do and we we're gonna invest money in in european clubs and our own clubs and we're going to spend as much as we want and this this is really unhinges you know the whole transfer world because they are of course they're so powerful they're so much more powerful than than any individual actor can be but russia is not the only one doing this right tim i mean we have uh, the example of Azerbaijan. Uh, we all remember the Atletico Madrid shirts with uh, with the land of fire Azerbaijan on it. The the oil and gas and gas company of Azerbaijan, of course, you know they were very strong and they really put Atletico back on the map, didn't they, with the financial investments in the club? Yeah, they did. Uh, I uh, I would like to plug the the article which is on Football Grad, the uh, playing the, the land of fire, uh, which I read yesterday, and this is a fascinating article about how um, Azerbaijan is the sponsor of uh, Atletico Madrid, and this is exactly correct because like the 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 biggest recent successes uh, of Atletico Madrid started when they got sponsored deal with Azerbaijan. To me, at first, it was crazy how a country can sponsor a football club. I was a little bit confused what was what was going on. But when I looked into that and um, I looked into like read the the article, it, it kind of makes sense. It's it's you know it's it puts Azerbaijan from this uh, sponsorship deal and a couple of other ones. They puts it on the map and. Um, they have the beautiful stadium right now in Baku, and um, again, like through the again, you're absolutely right. The, the parallel, the parallel is very similar. When the state, it's not even a company; it's the whole country sponsors a football club. That's a statement, and this is the <laughs> a direct connection to the state um, connection between state and football. 
Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that we have to you know remember too. It's not always um, positive. The Atletico Madrid, and this, this was in that season in particular. This was the first time when they reached the Champions League final, and everyone talked about how wonderful it is because they're a smaller club and they are you know this this team that is defying the grades. But um, really, they were heavily funded by by Azerbaijan and basically Azerbaijan allowed them to compete with the big boys um through large investments and the the land of fire slogan I remember when when I wrote this article I was working quite close um with with a group of reporters without borders um that basically outlined all the human the, the negative human rights record in Azerbaijan right while Atletico Madrid, and this was everyone's darling's team at the time, reached the Champions League final. So, you know, we were basically talking about a state. And this is, again, maybe another parallel to Qatar, because Qatar doesn't have the best human rights record either. You know, they're basically using football to overpaint a picture that isn't pretty at all, right? And that's that's maybe something that's a bit worrying, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like again, in that article, it shows all the human rights problems which uh, you know were in Azerbaijan, and it doesn't really align with the whole European vision of human rights. And so it, it doesn't. It just goes in 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 contrast of what the European vision is, and versus what the this uh, big. Um, I don't even know. It's not companies. It's it. In this case, it's the actual country. Um, which how much money is going into the football? Um, but at the same time, like, you know, it's not a surprise. Money ruled football um, always, always, always like the, this, the strongest club has the most amount of money. The thing which is happening right now is that the, like you said, the state is getting involved. And um, yeah, the, the football is the the sense of this global take, not, it's not a takeover, but I don't know how to explain this, but this is the global connection between the, the governments, the big corporation and football is getting to a completely next level. There's just uh, a, a transfer which happened um, a, few, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and that's, that's really it, isn't it? This, this interconnection between the, when, when the government comes to play, and I mean, we, we're talking, we're, we're kind of going around circles around it, but this is what Neymar is. Neymar is a marketing tool for an entire country, you know, a <laughs> yeah. country that happens to be under economic and global pressure um, because, you know, of, of what's going on uh, on the Arabian Peninsula. And I, I think that is really, that's really the thing that fascinates me the most because it's, it touches on so much the, in the, in the research that I did during my PhD dissertation. When, you know, when I researched my PhD dissertation, which is, of course, the, the transition from football from communism to capitalism in the post-Soviet space. So not just in Russia, but the entire post-Soviet space. And this, um, how the, uh, many of the countries in the post-Soviet space, and not just Russia, you know, Russia and Gazprom are, of course, the shining example and the still existing shining example. But how these countries that are basically were non-entities, and I, I mean this with no disrespect, but places like Azerbaijan, they only existed as Soviet republics within the Soviet Union about 20 years ago, right? And they mm -hmm. all of a sudden, they can use the sport to put themselves on the map and also dominate regionally. Soka, of course, the 
um, state oil and gas uh, company of uh, of the Azerbaijan Republic. Very complicated name, but that's the name. Um, they are UEFA sponsor, but they also. And I I was down in Georgia and Tbilisi for my research. They run the entire football organization in the neighboring country of Georgia, right? Because they they can sort of put soft power on Georgia mainly because Armenia, they are at war with Armenia right now. Um, it's a frozen conflict over the region of Nagorno-Karabakh. And Nagorno-Karabakh is important here because Karabakh are actually in the playoffs of the UEFA Champions League. You know, and, and uh, this is basically a club without a home playing in the playoffs of the UEFA Champions League as almost a propaganda tool for the state of Azerbaijan. And they're playing um, Copenhagen on Tuesday, August 15th. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting. I looked into Karabakh. That's that's a, that's a interesting club, and um, um, they were they they've been around uh, for the past couple of years. Didn't they play Inter Milan recently and performed quite well? Yeah, they played in the Europa League group stage the last two years, and who knows, they might be in the Champions League next year or this year. And then that will be just a massive step. For, you know, just like I, I don't remember any Azerbaijan uh, football successes in the past. 20 years so if if they would uh, qualify to Champions League that's massive and again given that they go through Copenhagen which is a very experienced team um, but you're, you're absolutely right those like those investments that just put those little uh, countries or little clubs on the map and just like again going back to this Atletico Madrid um, connection I, I'm just still I just I don't, like I understand the whole thing how it works but still when I see Azerbaijan which was a little soviet republic um is now sponsor of one of the biggest club in europe that just i just can't really wrap my head around it just 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 on the just understanding point of view yeah and then of course not the only one and this is our last example of the power of the state in football because karabakh are playing in the champions league uh playoffs so they are guaranteed a spot in the europa league once again and they're joined there by another post-soviet republic team uh, fc astana we were playing Celtic, so our Scottish listeners there. Here's a little a little input into the world of FC Astana. This is a team that's officially owned um, by the National Welfare Fund Samro Kazina, which is um, directly owned by the president of Kazakhstan. And this national fund, and this article, when I wrote this article, uh, it was a couple of years ago, but it's still pretty much accurate. Back then, the national fund was worth $78 billion. It includes the Gazatombrom, Air Astana, Gazmonaya Gas um, companies, all the rail postal service, state oil and gas companies. All of that is included in that. And of course, the Astana Football Club. And that, this is the same club that also um, those were... Those who like to watch Tour de France, Astana, the bicycle team, right? That was also part of this, the state fund. We're talking basically Astana, um, possibly in the playing in the Champions League. And we like to talk about travel in this part, right? But this is basically the team from Asia playing in the UEFA Champions League because the government of Kazakhstan has decided that they need to have a team on the map, have a team in the Champions League so that the country is on the map. And they have made the Champions League group stage before. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember, I think it was Atletico, Atletico Madrid who had to, somebody from Spain who had to travel there and it was like almost uh, comparable to Russia, um, Russian league distances. Uh, but again, talk, talking about the connection of state and football, uh, like the fund which you described, there's no other way uh, to say around it that this pretty much government money uh, going into the uh, the club and like the recent successes of their club uh, just like shows that again, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly young club um which again being around only for less than 10 years 2009 like, yeah 2009 so pff, listen and then just dominating the kazakhstan league and also the you know again for a like you're absolutely right that's an asian country pretty much from asian country qualifying to play in um champions league group stage that's a massive success so again shows that the you know the state money um can give significant results in uh, football not well, copy captain obvious but you know that's how it is yeah and i mean uh, it's maybe final point before we unfortunately need to wrap this up this really fascinating topic um fc hastana actually have not lost a group stage game at home yet in the champions league or in the europa league and i guess some of that is due to travel um <laughs> time difference i believe is four hours Four hours, Should six, be, yeah, something like that. six hours from Spain, four hours from Central Europe. Whew, that's hard. I, I remember when Germany had to go there, they basically decided not to even do the time switch because it would be just easier for players to, um, to pretend and stay on their own time zone. But yeah, this is, this is what happens. You know, Kazakhstan made a conscious choice that they wanted to play in Europe and they have like tiny bit of territory in Europe. And that's how they got to justify it because they believed that they could develop their football in on the european continent better than they could in asia which is probably true and um they have gone a long way since then um through the help of government money and this is really what it is it's government money subsidizing football in order to put the country on a map and that brings us full circle to neymar because neymar is the one that catches all the headlines with the 222 million euros i can't believe the sum being invested by the state of Qatar into a player in order to show to for soft power influence, but they're not the first. They as the, the list that we just named is is basically they just took a leaf out of what post-Soviet states have done for quite some time. So I mean, this is this is this is a fascinating topic, and we'll, we'll definitely come back to it at some point, I believe. Especially you know as we reach go closer to the Champions League with. Um, two teams from the region having a major impact potentially and um, we'll definitely follow that on uh, footballgrad.com as well but Tim we need to unfortunately wrap this up it's been a fantastic discussion um, just want to want to let people know where can they find you um, what have you been up to uh, they can find me on Twitter under Russian Tim 61 that's my Twitter handle um, and um, as ever I do the Rocket from Russia p- podcast uh, the punk rock uh, radio show which I do on a weekly basis in uh, Vancouver and um, I just I'm just hoping that uh, this this week is gonna be better for me than the previous one yeah you've been hiding underneath a bed I've been told so <laughs> that is correct uh, for people who don't know we actually have a football grad network what's up chat and uh, Tim was very quiet for about 48 hours on it and then suddenly emerged i had so, no words i had yeah. no words <laughs> i had no words <laughs> nothing to say well um 
People can find me at Manuel Veff on Twitter. Please follow me and please ask questions about especially this topic that we just discussed. It's been something that I've been following quite closely for some years now. So it's a fascinating topic and it's something that we definitely will keep covering on uh, the different Football Grad homepages. Um, and you can find that material at Football Grad Live. Well, until next week, das wird dann jetzt. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube